Hey, and we're back. It's the Dice of Screaming coming at you full <gasps> force. <gasps> oh, yeah, and full screen, too. Hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we together form the gestalt of the Dice of Screaming. The Dice Men are here. <laughs> the, the extra planar aberration of gaming podcasts. Yeah, you don't know what to make of it, but you definitely don't want to get too close. Yeah, <laughs> if you could get close enough to lift the tail and check, you'd wish you hadn't. Well, well, on that uh, sordid note, I uh, hope you had a great Memorial Day if you uh, were in the States. And if not, you know, uh, whatever banking holiday or whatever it was, I hope you had an extra day to just kick back and relax. But now you're with us, so you're doomed. Oh, uh, well, and our apologies for that. I mean, yeah, what a sordid, what a sordid fate. Nothing any of you deserved, I you know. Sordid. That said. Yep. We got some call-ins to go over, and of course, uh, we appreciate all the uh, feedback on the uh, U1, 2, and 3, the enemy uh, of Salt Marsh, I guess is the best way to term it. I mean, secret, Sinister Secret Salt Marsh is just the first module, but that seems to stick with everybody for what we call it. But Yeah, the Salt Marsh trilogy yeah. uh, was a very fun episode to do. That was that was something that I had personally been looking forward to a long while. Uh Especially since it's nice to highlight the re-release of very similar material yep. so recently. And I'm, I'm just, I am happy to see it getting the treatment it deserves. So it was, it was a worthy episode for us. I, I enjoyed it immensely, so I'm, I'm glad other people liked. Yep, and uh, we have some call-ins from, we're going to take, I think, Joe Richter, who sounded like he was having a good time this weekend. Ah, yes. Somebody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend very, very much. Yeah, he has some thoughts about the Call of Cthulhu thing, which is, hey, yes. we're still glad that's resonating, resonating throughout our listener base. So we'll get right to it. So take it away, Joe. What is going on, boys? It is Joe Richter calling in because I have to say that a monofilament whip or Katana would just destroy a star spawn of Cthulhu, Cyber Cthulhu, Cthulhu Punk. They could do it, man. They could put up a fight. Obviously, you're not going to be Cthulhu himself or any of the big, you know, outer gods, but you could absolutely destroy a ton of the Mythos creatures with some Cybertech gear. For sure, dude. I love you, dudes. Your last episode on... It was great. It was super great. I love you guys. Peace out. Oh, man. We love you, too, Joe. We love you, man. Oh, yeah. I, I wish I'd been at your Memorial Day gathering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine involved uh, literally no actual recovery whatsoever. Uh, I am in pretty fine fettle, so no, no actual wear and tear took place uh, during my holiday weekend. But we did, uh, of course, um, enjoy some gaming, so that was important. Now, but we had that on the docket. Yes, we did. And uh, it's funny that you should mention precisely what you did, because uh, in the vein of, you know, cyberpunk and uh, things of that ilk, uh, we did Shadowrun. Yep, a dirty Yakuza double cross. But yeah, so a lot of fun and yeah, yeah monofilament whip. If if you want uh, 
a weapon that can actually do harm to some of these crazy creatures in the, the back of the Call of Cthulhu books. Monofilament whip would be... That would be a good one. Yeah, uh, you know, teach those fungi from Yargoth what for. and uh, <laughs> It slices, it dices, just look at this fungi. Heavy machine guns versus uh, Chthonians and uh, some of the minions. Like, screw those deep ones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going monofilament whip on those guys. Yeah, you can do some damage, yeah. We were just talking about some of the crazy monsters, like the color from outer space that, you know... It's an angry color of chartreuse, and it's coming for you. What? I, oh, man. It sounds like some of my worst days as a painter. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, I'm covered in it right now. I'm literally, literally, I, I got in from work uh, and am set to do the podcast covered in paint. So <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's totally ready for this. But uh, nonetheless, you know, yeah, some of the, the, uh, the tough stuff like Chagas and... Uh, Oh yeah, fire maybe, vampires. They're, maybe maybe not them so much, but but there's a lot of the lesser creatures. The, yeah, the deep ones, stuff. the elder things, the Chthonians. Yeah, you're gonna definitely teach them a lesson. So thanks a lot, Joe. And uh, sounds like you had a great time, man. I hope the recovery works well. <laughs> now uh, on to other things, uh, we also got one from Froth talking about uh, his experiences with Salt Marsh, and he's here to share us with us. So take it yeah. away, Froth. What's up, y'all? It's Froth, listening to your latest, enjoying it. You know, I recently ran uh, The Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh for my wife and daughter. My daughter is seven. And um, they did pretty well. There was almost a TPK at the end of, like, the haunted house piece where they're down in, like, the sea caves. But uh, once they got to the sea ghosts, they just annihilated the pirates. Like, they, I, and I wasn't pulling punches. They just annihilated them with planning and everything else. The thing that really got to my daughter, though, was that cursed luck stone that they find and uh, in, like, the haunted house, the whatever, alchemist's uh, chamber. Oh, boy, does she hate that thing. Throwing away the, the rock but can't get rid of it? My God. You want to <laughs> torture a child? No, I should rephrase that. But anyway, good stuff. See y'all. Uh, yeah, uh, Broth, that uh, phrasing. Are we not doing phrasing in context anymore? <laughs> I mean, yeah, torturing a child, yeah, that's all. Okay, rephrase yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> phrasing, boom. Ah. What? Are we not going to get phrasing back in the mix? Ah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that lodestone, yeah, that's infamous and uh, well worth it that, of course, your daughter gets not. Everybody thinks that, oh, we found the Philosopher's Stone, I'm going to turn lead to gold. Nope. Ultimate screw you DM treasure moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm teaching her a valuable lesson. Never trust the magic items. Um, always yeah. identify them first. Um, All that glitters is not gold. In fact, sometimes it's a DM debaggery uh, incarnate. Yeah, but in the alchemist manse in the basement there, there isn't really much of a ramp up in that... Uh, that illusionist and his no companions are uh, hanging out down there. There's no, you know, you go from like, okay, there's a lot of empty rooms, maybe a giant spider, ooh, spooky stuff. And then you go down there and it's now full-on combat right in your face and better have your game on. And typically that is when I have the uh, secret assassin uh, from upstairs. Uh, Ned reveal Shakespeare. His, uh, yeah, Shake Shaft. Shaft. Uh, Ned, old Ned turns on the party. <laughs> I'm old Ned! Yep. <laughs> Ned's dead, baby. Ned's, Ned's dead. dead. 
Yeah, uh, he turned on the party at the precise moment that combat got fast and furious with the Knolls. Yeah. Uh, and I, in our case, I, I had him attempt to uh, backstab the Paladin to remove the toughest fighter. Uh, he failed on the roll, so I was forced to suck it up uh, after a failed attempt at backstabbing a Paladin. Uh, and I homaged a classic line from the movie Payback where... Uh, the Weasley cabbie dispatcher uh, gets the gun snatched out of him. You're not going to kill me, are you? Yeah, yeah, I really am. Um. Uh, oh, the party beat the crap out of him about a second later. Oh, but no, it sounds like good times. I'm glad they made it through and kicked pirate butt, which is just literally one of my favorite parts. If you've got low-level adventurers uh, or people who are being introduced to the game... Kicking pirate butts is just... A, the only way it could be better is if you were riding dinosaurs with lasers. Uh, that would be, like, even more epic. But but there you know, isn't much that is. And uh, just to weave some Game of Thrones stuff in there, I'm always reminded that Sir Davos of Blackwater. You know, <laughs> could have been in that... Would have made that module just a little bit better. Oh, a likable smuggler? Yeah. That, uh... You know, oh, I don't even want to kill him now. Ah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it sounds like they had a good time, and of course, uh, you know, a valuable lesson was learned. Cursed items are terrible. So I have wielded the cursed item as a DM many times myself. Yeah, it always brings me great joy. That's your payback for all your executed monsters and one shots. And, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, and the salt marsh thing, um. We definitely have a lot uh, going on with uh, researching Greyhawk and uh, the Salt Marsh itself. So that's what we're going to be covering tonight. And on the later, of course, uh, we're going to go for a quick break here for our sponsors. And then we'll be back to you after that with our topic. So again, thanks for all the call-ins and commentary on both uh, Facebook and Twitter. So thank you guys. But we'll be back after the break. All right, and we're back after that short break. Thanks for sticking around. And so we're going to tear right into the topic, and we're just going to talk about the Salt Marsh uh, as a campaign, which we've covered pretty much the preliminaries of what those three modules represented, the Salt Marsh trilogy and how they played out and various things that happened to them. But uh, the Ghost of the Salt Marsh has been released. So I don't want to give too many spoilers. I had a chance to sit down with a copy and look through it. It's a uh, good, solid material, but uh, again, there's a lot of things to talk about in there that would just give away too much, so I don't quite feel as ready to really peel back the layers of the onion on this one. And uh, I, I should say that I have not viewed this material, so, you know, bite the grass, Frodo. I'm going in dry. Uh, I don't know anything uh, in terms of spoilers. Uh, I have not even actually been privy to any serious spoilers uh, from Randy. So, you know, a lot of this material will be new to me when I get a chance to have a proper look at it. But, how to deploy it in campaign play. Now this, this we can piece together with a little guesswork. A yeah, little you know, practical experience. This is uh, definitely uh, Wizards uh, uh, formatting a lot of the previous lore in the campaigns that, of yesteryear namely the World of Greyhawk setting, which they have not yet uh, fully vested into their 5th edition line. 
but I'm pretty much uh, with a lot of on board with a lot of people that uh, you know that there's a lot already existing out there, so it's not hard to get on board Greyhawk full score. Uh, there's many PDFs and uh, other material that you can uh, get for pretty cheap out on the internet. Oh yeah, Greyhawk is far from dead. It has not had a formal release in fifth edition, but that does not mean that it has not been referenced uh, as yeah. per Ghosts of Saltmarsh. They gave a very solid in the intro on uh, the area that was uh, the main part of the campaign, mostly the Hool Marshes, which is nominally part of the Kingdom of Keoland in the world of Greyhawk, and this provides a lot of solid content. Keoland is kind of a mixture of different cultures all under one kind of king. There's Sterich and uh, Bissell, you know, that place sucks. <laughs> Not as bad as Hooverland, but... No. Uh, and what's left of the Grand Duchy of Geoff and uh, the Barrier Peaks. So there's a lot of uh, meat on the bone to just wander around the Keyland. But more importantly, the players are pretty much at the end of it. If uh, Presumably you defeat this Haugen. I mean, obviously we wouldn't be having a conversation about continuing campaign in the world of Greyhawk if you didn't defeat this Haugen. But if it was a TPK, well, you know, let the dice fall where they may, right? But yeah. Uh, it can happen. I mean, again, you know, we've we we've kind of covered that on the the sense that you know a campaign can go whichever way. Don't don't be afraid of a climactic ending. Uh, you know, I, I I hate inglorious endings, and I've, I've said it before, but I'm not opposed to climactic TPKs. I I feel like the possibility of failure should be there. And yeah. Sometimes the dice are just cruel, cruel. Uh, fickle little deities that turn on you with no warning. It's like, wow, I can't believe you fumbled and stabbed your own team. Mm. Uh, you know, in the fight for our lives. Uh, and once the once you accidentally maimed our own fighter, they swamped us and we were destroyed. That, it can happen. Yeah, so, and barring that, of course, barring such a phenomenal failure, where do you go after this trilogy slash now campaign packet comes to a close. What else can you do with this? Yeah, and also, uh, you know, if you play through these, if you're interested, or you're just listening for the lore, you can incorporate a lot of this into your post the Salt Marsh campaign. So, um, but let's get to it with the, uh, where do you go afterwards? Now, I did mention about the Isle of Dreads out there, and of course that's a classic module for basic Dungeons & Dragons, but that requires all of probably about two minutes of work to adjust <laughs> to uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons or even 5th edition. Yeah. There's some weird monsters in there, uh, but it's a great uh, place for a hex crawl, and it really just you know shows the strength of, at that time, throwing players into a hex crawl on a deserted, or, well, not deserted, but a remote location where they have to struggle to survive. Yeah, few allies, few resources, very little opportunity to resupply, uh, which puts a lot of pressure on them to use the resources they have very effectively. And uh, look, uh, not to, to be too weaselly of a DM, but resource deprivation makes players get innovative. I approve of it. It is a tactically sound part of any DM's arsenal. Yeah, so, you know, in this Haugen's letter, maybe there's a map 
tucked in a waterproof scroll that gives you the location of the Isle of Dread and perhaps a cache of riches that were buried there by the previous owners. Hey, there's a great idea, right? And, um, you know, on that, you know, that's a good premise to get in there. Another one, if the players aren't so inclined to become explorers, raiders, or mercantile interests, they can uh, lease the ship out to other people, gain some money while they do uh, more traditional things. They don't have to launch into a sea campaign just because they've been given an opportunity to acquire a ship. If it just really bores your players, like, eh, you know, that just, uh, it's too Arya Stark. I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to get my you know, scope and start traveling to far lands and making maps for a living. I I really want to go punch an orc in the snout. Hey, also equally valid... Palmarge, a locale of a collection of vicious humanoid tribes, is right across the way. Yes, uh, that is one of the wonders of the Greyhawk campaign setting. It is rife with opportunity... And you're never more than, like, one country away from adventure at any given moment. They're, they're, the place is peppered with uh, obscure or hard-to-reach areas, difficult border terrain, uh, areas that are kind of <clears throat> contested between two governments and, you know, as a result, are somewhat lawless in the areas in between, uh, making prosperous havens for banditry, uh, and, of course, piracy. humanoids, uh, piracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wild Coast well earns its name. Also, the uh, hint, hint, Slave Lords. Oh, yeah, classic module. Uh, well, classic four-part. Yeah. Uh, it, quadrility. Yeah, quadrilogy. That is probably one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. It just, it, it's stands really well as a four-part series, but they don't have to launch right into that uh, either, but it's also on the table. And most of the creatures listed in these modules are still present in current editions, and it can be first converted, all creatures and challenges converted to appropriate tests and challenge ratings for creatures in the current edition, and then uh, it's not actually that hard from that point to scale up the danger or scale it down using the new 5th edition rules uh, to match the strength of your player character. So the the modules are no longer as level-dependent as they used to be. So keep that one in mind. Yeah, and also uh, if you're wanting political intrigue, perhaps the news of the champions of the Salt Marsh, the the defenders of the realm, can reach the ears of the Lion Throne in Keeland, and you can be brought before the king and given tasks to do. No, well, true feats and of daring do on behalf of the Kingdom of Keeland. When I ran Saltmarsh uh, years ago, um, the players from a previous campaign, we all started new ones, and I decided to start out with the Saltmarsh. Uh, I had uh, a character that they hated lashed in the Archmage. Oh my god, I hated the, that uh, guy. <laughs> From the uh, super module, uh, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, or Queen of the Spiders, as it was. Um, he was basically an officious mage bureaucrat who was presumably attending to the king's needs in the area during the giant's uprising. 
Oh, and he was perfectly played. I'll, I'll give you this. I mean, he was the guy you love to hate. A pompous windbag of a bureaucrat. Uh, just perpetually convinced that nobody else has any clue of what's going on other than him. And woe betide the player character that crosses his path because you're just simpletons accustomed to bashing orcs uh, and with no finesse or understanding of these greater matters, which require a, a keener mind. Uh, yeah, at the end of the module, yeah. you save the day, you know, you venture into the Abyss, defeat Loth, and free uh, Sterich from the evil black bubble that is encompassing the capital. And Lashin at the end is shown for the pompous fool that he is. And, you know, no thanks to him, the players actually uh, earn the rewards, and wiser heads reward the players appropriately. And Lashin is sent into a new area where his expertise will be better used, which means that he takes over the uh, manse of the old alchemist there. And uh, so they had to clear it out. So the players had once again to deal with Lashton, who is now, and of course, a depreciated uh, sense of importance in the kingdom, and was, you know, <laughs> kind of a little cowed by his rebuke by the king. Yeah, he never recognized me for my genius. Exiled to the boonies. Uh, it's like being put in charge in, of something in Nome, Alaska. You know, they sent him off to, <laughs> you know, yeah, make sure the lighthouse works. Yeah. Okay. Cast a light spell every day. Oh, oh continual light. All right, yeah, but, you know, that's one thing you can do. It's a politi uh, politics could be entered in from there. Nonetheless, uh, however you do it, you don't have to be heavily invested in Greyhawk Lords when just enjoy the Salt Marsh trilogy. Now, uh, at the time that I ran it, I believe the module that I ran immediately after the Salt Marsh trilogy, uh, I launched them into an expedition of the Lost Caverns of Sukanth. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, because at the time, they were... I believe the Rogue was the only one who would hit 7th level, so everybody was between 5th and 7th level. Mm. Uh, which meant that they were a medium-tough party, and they, they had a lot of members. We had a lot of players at that time. So, instead of just, like, four tough core players, I would probably want them to be closer to 8th level to tackle that module if mm. there's just four people. But... With a robust party of like eight, nine players, I didn't feel shy about letting a bunch of sixth levelers, you know, and fifth levelers wander around in there. That worked out okay. But again, it, that came out of the Salt Marsh trilogy, and that was more of an overland campaign where they, they found themselves uh, marching into mountainous turf. But again, you know, don't feel bound to anything. There's a lot going on in the Greyhawk setting. Yeah, um, so, you know, some other places you could go. Well, uh, I know some other places. There's the uh, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Yeah, this is a module. That's a great one. Uh, this is a module well worth uh, a future episode. Yeah, we'll be doing that, but that's one you can look into if you also want to send them out on a wild uh, expedition. That's a great one. And uh, the Hidden Shrine of Tamakakan? Oh, Tamoakan. Tamoakan, okay. Yeah, the Hidden Shrine of Tamoakan, which is a tournament module for the day, um, actually lends itself well to some surprisingly, uh, well, uh, death-defying fights with some of the Aztec deities and servitors of the Aztec deities there. Woo. 
That's a tough one. That fire bat. Oh boy, man, that guy. Yeah, not an easy module. Okay, I mean it's it's level requirements were were pretty firm. I, it was about fifth through seventh that little sweet spot there, but you were tough enough to face most of the challenges. But there's lots of traps, and of course that mist that just constantly is doing damage to you, so you can't hang around and linger out. Yeah, you you linger can't around just... and it just it just. Um, you get weaker as you, the longer you stay in, your stats start to uh, diminish and all that. Yeah, the, the point was, of course, in a tournament module, to drive the players into activity at maximum speed. Yeah, so they couldn't sit there and, you know, rest and recuperate spells, you know, blow out all their main stuff, and then pull back, wait, and re-engage at their opportunities. So. Yeah, tactically decide when do you want to cash in those high damage spells. You know, you may want to, you may want to hold off, uh, Kill the little stuff with the little things. You're not going to go through here uh, emptying the holster on round one. <laughs> yeah, so I thought that the module itself lended it uh, well at the end to opening up a lot of frontiers, mostly sea-based and islands and other obscure areas on off the main map. So that's kind of cool if you're into lore of that nature. But uh, also later editions, uh, third edition, the um, Savage Tide Adventure Path. If you're uh, revamping the Salt Marsh for a third or fifth edition, you can take uh, the Savage Tide and go with that. That's, that's a lot of fun. The, the city of Sasserine on this, uh, in the Sea Princes. Ah, old of the Sea Princes. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And right next to that big old volcano down there. Mm -hmm. Well worth it. Yep. So, you know, where we go... Make sure that, uh, you know, it's something your players want to do, and I think that uh, you'll be well rewarded. But as we talk, wind this down about the talk of Salt Marsh itself and where to go and what to do, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Ghost of Salt Marsh in particular on this one, that Module Salt doesn't really require you to play any of these. And, of course, this is just, you know, it's just lore. Uh, some people can use it. Some people will be bored by it, of course, but... More importantly, you appreciate where the game came from, and that's what we're about here on the Dice of Screaming. It gives you some context where to put the module more solidly on ground that older players, as well as those invested into the setting and lore of the game, will appreciate. And so having kind of those name drops can really help bring out some smiles and, uh, oh, I remember that, from your players. Oh, well, yeah, the more experienced amongst your players... If you've got somebody who was uh, an original old schooler, uh, many of those revamped uh, modules mm -hmm. will draw a smile. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. once again, shuffling things up inside the contents, uh, as long as you're in a spot where you may be converting some material to a new edition... Uh, no one says you can't make some radical alterations, including yeah. like the type and nature of monsters, uh, the precise locations, uh, the degree of danger of various traps or natural obstacles. Uh, I believe it was, uh, was it Isle of Dread where you tormented us with a bar guest? Yes. Yeah, was that one that you had added personally mm -hmm. to the adventure? Yeah, it, it, it was a revamp of the Isle of Dread. And there were some new challenges a that Bargast did not exist. And a Bargua demon. Oh, the, the bar Barguest. The Barguest was just a, an encounter I had. Ah, all right. 
and the Barlagura was the uh, uh, tormenting yep. demon. Yeah, it was an enormous nuisance to us. Uh, that was that was particularly unpleasant. He was he was difficult to track down, and extremely vicious. Oh yeah, which uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we're we're very bad DMs. Uh, we've we have freely and intentionally slaughtered uh, player characters. Uh, oh, I don't want to say pets, but like their animal companions slash familiars mm -hmm. uh, are a weak point, and any intelligent opponent, especially an intelligent, magically capable opponent with any knowledge of magic, is going to know that that's your, your mage's weak point. Uh. Also, rogues that think they're... Uh Hide and shadows or stealth score is a little higher than the uh, than it really is. Oh, I've got eleven ranks. I can hide from anything. Okay. Yeah, and a creature with uh, considerable sensitivity and the ability to see in both the uh, the infrared and uh, oh, what what was the other spectrum for that? Um, oh yeah, the crazy ultra vision. Yeah, back yeah. from the day. But 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 creatures with incredibly keen senses that are not easily fooled by either invisibility or hiding shadows uh, well you know if they're also if they're psionically active and they mm -hmm. detect a presence you, you're just kind of hosed they're going to be on the lookout for it's like you. it knows where we are all the time hmm wonder why that is yeah and oh. just not we're not subtle here at the dice no. of screaming we we're evil uh, malignant old dms uh, so, we've done some horrible things to player characters with creatures like those, and to each other with yeah. creatures like those. Yeah, and that's an important part there, is that, you know, uh, no matter what edition you're playing, you know, just know your monsters and uh, know your players, and sometimes exploit the weaknesses that you as a DM know that the players have and possess. As well as every once in a while, you know, uh, monsters will make mistakes, like, you know, they'll throw a fireball when somebody's wearing a uh, ring of fire resistance, and they'll just have to... You know, yeah. Like, oh, that's a learning experience for the monster. Well, I didn't know that guy had that. Well, now I did. Yeah, it's okay to be fair to players in the sense that uh, the monsters are not privy to information about what the player characters are carrying on them in minute detail. Uh, only after they've encountered the players and seen for themselves what they can and can't resist, only then should you feel free to let them act intelligently. And, and that's what that uh, demon was all about. He was testing. Yeah, constantly prodding the player characters with various techniques. Uh, but that was a, a fun use of material that could be recycled into the Greyhawk campaign setting. Right. It was not originally set there. It was a basic slash expert. Uh, it was a module presented for, I believe, the, the expert set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an easy convert. Yeah, I was actually I was using the uh, one from Dungeon Magazine, Return to the Outlet, right? But uh, oh. I just used parts of it in there, then and there, and you know that the demon was eventually trying to enslave one tribe of the uh, inhabitants uh, to gain a army to take over the others, and then install itself as a. A divine champion of Demogorgon, but uh, that's for another time to discuss fully. But I want to throw out another idea. Uh, just oh, one okay. last one. Just yeah, one sure. last one. Uh, you know, there is no reason... We have discussed unique campaign settings and unique campaign presented difficulties and obstacles, uh, including undersea aquatic adventures. Yep. Now, Ghosts of Saltmarsh 
is, even without having read it, knowing a portion of what takes place in the original Saltmarsh trilogy, here is a golden opportunity to put together a political scenario where it's war beneath the sea, with the Sahaugan hovering on the brink of a mass invasion. Yeah, have a mutant Sahaugan king yeah. at the head, and uh, you have to, you know, you've got obviously a sea elf and some merfolk, but also tritons could come into the picture as well. Yeah, get them some magical items, a, a good commission from uh, some of the nearby seagoing races saying, you know, uh, we wish to enlist your aid in the greater struggle against even more Sahaugan. Yeah, if you want to roll up your sleeves, that's a good one. Uh, you know, a cloak of the manta ray could really be a useful item in that one, <laughs> as well as the helm of underwater action, which you find, I think it's in the second one, isn't it? I believe so. That, yeah, that was I think it's idea. from the dragon you get when you do the wear guild for the uh, for the lizard man uh, uh, chieftain. Oh, that's an item that uh, you can, if you accept the deal to make up for having slaughtered some lizard men, uh, and you do in fight fight the dragon, or you know do in fact fight the dragon, mm-hmm. you you wind up acquiring a particularly useful helmet that. Uh, darned handy later on in the campaign. Yep, as well as, uh, you know, um, scrolls of free action would obviously be good for that one, as well as uh, the much-vaunted ring of freedom of movement. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, the ring of free action or... Gauntlets of swimming and climbing, you know. The... Yeah, these are things that if you decide to go in an undersea campaign direction... Uh, with far-reaching implications for trade for various empires and uh, reasonable alliance between merfolk, sea elf, and humans. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of meat on the bone. And there. the Lakotha and the uh, Tritons. Yes, those are two more of the waterborne races that uh, would not be completely averse to dealing with humans. And we can't forget crab people. Crab people. Crab, crab people. No. Uh... <clears throat> No, aren't they busy filming uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? I don't know. Uh, all right. That, that one's lost to me. You got me, dude. South Park? Okay. The Crab People? I remember the Crab People. I don't remember the Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. But, you know, so, South Park's been so around. human and, guys. Yeah. I, so, they're, sorry. All right. I, well, I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> Whatever you do, do not say the Chekhov gun. Okay. I will not say the Chekhov gun. I just said, oh, see how it's also get... woefully esoteric. Hmm. And so, you know, when you get into the uh, Ghost of the Salt Marsh, maybe you can t- incorporate some of this lore into your game, make it a little uh, cool. Or just, you know, bore your players to tears and then you can just blame us. And oh, oh, yeah. Uh, look, on and the internet told us this. We totally encourage blaming us. Yeah. Uh, because we are what's wrong with gaming. Uh, yeah, we're, we're a lot of wrong. <laughs> we are the <laughs> we we are the day old bread uh, of gaming podcasts, and we are the uh, the proctological exam of gaming podcasts. Wow. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, just, I'm all know. for self depreciating humor, but man, just load it up there. All right, well, um, as we're winding down here, uh, whatever you do, like if you want to go for an aquatic campaign, just roll your sleeves up, go wild with it. That's another great ending off of the Salt Marsh. But uh, it's one I personally wish I'd done. The nice thing about the Ghost of Salt Marsh 
and the mention of Salt Marsh itself is that at the intro of the module, or the adventure, goes to the Salt Marsh, they give a lot of ways that you can incorporate this in your own campaign world or other campaign worlds as well. And, I think and they're a... fairly specific, I might add. See, this is the one fragment I have personally seen, and unlike many modules released in the past, this one comes with a section dedicated to how to phase this little setting into your existing campaign world, and it gives specific references to locations and ideal areas uh, to use in multiple campaign worlds that have been mm -hmm. published now and in the past. So, yeah, do not be shy. This one's well worth it. And also, uh, it brings back Greyhawk and a lot of revives a little bit of interest, so hopefully Wizards will take note of that. But on that note, what we'd like to end this on is that the Wizards of the Coast is, of course, free to do what they want. They've decided that Eberron is going to be given their next treatment. Mm. So uh, that's the thing to be looking out for. But in the meantime, we're going to be covering the world of Greyhawk in the next two episodes. We're going to be dedicating the next one, uh, our Friday episode, to Greyhawk uh, in the past and where it went up to the modern day and then kind of where it went from uh, in the next one will be just specifically the third edition uh, Living Greyhawk campaigns. Forgive me. And uh, the, well, it's eventual kind of disappearance. But uh, Greyhawk never dies. It just endures, as they like to say. So, because it lives on in our memories. Much oh, like uh, yeah. Mel Gibson's character Mad Max at the end of Rogue Warrior. Yeah, it may wander off into the sunset, but, uh, you know, we've all got some pretty amazing... now only in my memories. Yeah. This is going to be our love letter to Greyhawk, so we really do want to hear from other people who remember the Greyhawk campaign setting. Uh, questions, thoughts, ideas, things that we should cover, your favorite moments, uh, favorite places, uh, experiences, things that you liked, qualities you enjoyed about Greyhawk. Go ahead, throw them at us, and we'd like to have those fresh in our minds before we launch into our Greyhawk series, because it's something particularly beloved to us. Yeah, we can wax eloquently about what we did and how we liked it, and things that were good, things that were bad, but, you know, we want to hear from you guys, too, because our listeners are a part of our experience here on the Anchor Podcast and also podcasting in general, so... On that note, uh, just let us know what you think, either on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, or you can get a hold of us directly at Twitter. I'm at Death Hand Gaming on Twitter and Magi Vox. Yeah, get Twitter. a hold of us and let us know. Or just leave us a message here on Anchor FM. So, with that, I think we have worn out our good welcome and we'll bid you adieu for Ooh. the evening. <laughs> Somebody bid me adieu. All right. I'd like to crack open a fresh one. That's right. So, May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.